November 14th, 2004. Wing Commander Captain David Fravor, Navy Lieutenant Commander Alex Dietrich, their backseat technicians, and multiple technicians on the USS Nimitz are running training drills off the coast of San Diego. They're alerted to a radio message from Central Command on the USS Nimitz fighter carrier that they have a real-world vector that they need to respond to. What happens over the next few minutes is the best evidence that I believe we currently have for the UAP phenomena to date. Welcome to Paranormality, where today we will be discussing the very famous USS Nimitz Tic Tac encounter. Hello and welcome to Paranormality. My name is Harry and joining me today to talk about the weird and the wonderful is the weird and wonderful James. How are you doing, James? I'm good. How are you doing, mate? I am excited. This is a podcast that I have wanted to do personally for about four years. Um, I'm fresh off the back of a lovely bit of burnout with another project that we previously did. Yeah. And I'm I'm really excited to jump into something very different but that I'm extremely passionate about. And I'm thrilled that you could be on this journey with me, James. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the ride, man. So you've not really heard much of this case other than really the intro that I sent you earlier in the week, have you? Yeah, as I was listening along, that's kind of the first I've heard of it, yeah. Okay, so I wanted to take maybe like 30 seconds just to talk about sort of our experiences with the paranormal. So I'm not a believer in ghosts. It's something I never have believed in. Um, I am truly a believer in sort of seeing is believing. But I have had two UFO encounters. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about them on a on an upcoming episode. But that's sort of my history with the paranormal. Um, not a great believer in ghosts. Although things like cryptids, myths and legends, that sort of stuff really piques my curiosity. UFOs are certainly my jam. What about you, James? Um... I think uh, like we are too small and too insignificant for there not to be like anything out there um, regarding UFOs and aliens. Um, I think yeah. the universe is way too big for it for there not to be. Um, regarding ghosts and stuff, I generally do think that's sort of old mythical tales told by the sort of strange people than anything. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you know, like oh, I'm a, yeah, like oh, I'm a, there's my my parrot's possessed. No, I think that thing's just talking, son. <laughs> yeah, it's just told you to f*** off. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm excited to sort of be proven wrong and really sort of go as deep as we can into this and have our minds blown, I think. I've had no personal experience with like UFOs or sort of ghosts or anything like that, but I'm completely open-minded to it. And like I said, I'm enjoying to go on the journey. That's exactly what we want to hear. So, yeah, we, we very much are going to delve into things like ghosts and cryptids. I, I've already got next week's episode sort of planned out, and it's it's UFO-related, but there's a little twist to it I'm Love quite it. excited for. But let's jump on in to the USS Nimitz encounter. I'm not going to start with the actual encounter itself. We're actually going to go a few days before the visual sighting of the object. And although I have said a few names already David Fravor, Alex Dietrich, they aren't the names that we're going to start with. Um, for me, the pilots that saw the object aren't the most important people in this story, although they are trained observers. And that is a phrase that I will be using quite a lot throughout this podcast, is the term trained observer. So the person that I'm going to start with is actually Operations Specialist Senior Chief Kevin Day. Now, that is a bit of a mouthful. Um Kevin's job was basically to keep the skies safe for the pilots uh, while they're on their training missions. So he would do all of that using the USS Nimitz radar system, which is a radar system that goes from sea level up to 80,000 feet. It covers hundreds of miles, and it was at that time one of the most sort of up-to-date and impressive systems that you possibly could find on a fighter carrier. Uh, the Nimitz was like the jewel of the US uh, Navy at that time. Okay. Um, so on November 10th, so this is four days before the intercept with the object, Kevin Day started noticing quite strange readings coming from a nearby island. Now, this is where things get weird. In his own words, the reason, this is his exact phrasing, the reason I say they're weird is because they started appearing in groups of five to ten at a time, and they were pretty closely spaced to each other. They were at 28,000 feet 
only going 100 knots tracking south. So do you know anything about sort of like flight or how an object stays in the air? Um, no. Um, I, I say I listened to that podcast you told me to listen to, but I still didn't understand it. But please so, inform me. <laughs> so the way that a wing works is it has something called a delta. So the air pressure on the top side and the bottom side, um, there, there is a, a negative pressure that lifts the plane up. In order to get that pressure, a plane has to go fast. So that is why on a, a big Boeing 747, they have a cruising speed of something like five to 600 miles an hour, because that is the speed that it takes that delta wing to push the air underneath the wing to keep it afloat. Right. So something going, something at 28,000 feet shouldn't be able to travel 100 knots. Like that, right. that's very slow. That's, I think, roughly it's about 80 miles an hour. That really isn't a fast speed. No, it's so, like cruising car speed, isn't it? Yeah, that is like just breaking the speed limit in the UK on the motorway. Yeah. Like that is, that's not a fast speed. So for an object to be going that slowly, but that high, also there's no air really up at 28,000 feet. No. That is something that started to sort of have a few alarm bells um, started ringing. Um, there was actually a sister ship on this training mission called the Princeton. And the Princeton radar techs, uh, they actually started to worry that the actual um, the systems weren't working. So radar technician Petty Officer 3rd Class Gary Voorhees says that they were getting ghost tracks and clutter. So he was looking at his radar screen. You know, that. imagine it's the hunt for the Red October and he's looking at the big circle and it's going around. Yeah. Um, he's looking at that and he can see lots of things that shouldn't be there. Um, and Voorhees at the time was the only trained technician on the Princeton who actually had training with the CEC, so the, the Cooperative Engagement Capability System, and the Aegis Combat System. So they're two very technical systems, and only one person on board knew how to run them. Yeah. Um, and so hearing that these radar components weren't working properly, it was a really big concern for Voorhees. You know, he's thinking that he's going to have to completely strip down these radar systems. Um, and also, I think the Princeton had something called an AN Spy 1B passive radar system. And that, again, was the 80,000 to sea level um, radar system that they used. Yeah. And he genuinely thought that was malfunctioning. So he said all of the air system controls were disabled, recalibrated, and the hope was is that the malfunctions would stop. And can you imagine what happened, James, once they recalibrated everything? Everything was fine. And it's the end of the podcast, yeah? <laughs> yes, thank you for tuning in to episode one. <laughs> no, I'm guessing the, the blitz was still fucking there. <laughs> yeah, so once they finished the recalibration, Voorhees said that the tracks were actually sharper and clearer. So he wow. didn't, they didn't vanish. All they could actually see was more of the object in far more detail. Um, sometimes they would be, this blows my mind. So their operating system went from 80,000 to sea level. So sometimes objects would appear at 80,000 feet. So for me, that means they're coming from above 80,000 feet. So that's yeah. edge of the atmosphere. That's right, yeah, curvature of the Earth and all that, yeah. Yeah, that, that's high. That's very that's high. high. <laughs> um, I think 32,000 feet is 26 miles. So we're looking at something like close to 100 miles up in the air. Um, yeah, well, it's the cruising speed for a basic airline's like 40,000, 40,000 feet. So it's double I that. I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you what, I'm going to be the laziest person in the world and just 80,000 feet to miles. Uh, oh no, that's really lame. It's only 15 miles, but there we go. It's still very high. Yeah. Still very high. 15 yeah. miles up. I'm oh, what I was thinking? The space station's at 120 miles up. Um, they didn't see anything, no? <laughs> no, they didn't. No, they <laughs> weren't on call that day. <laughs> but sometimes these things would be at, they would appear at an altitude of 80,000 feet. And in Voorhees' exact words, they would be going 80,000 to 60,000 feet. Other times they would be at 30,000 feet going like 100 knots. Their radar cross-sections didn't match any known aircraft. There were 100% red, no squawk, no IFF. IFF means identification friend or foe. So they would squawk to them and they would send the messages. Yeah. Who is this? Who are you? And nothing would be returned. There was another instance. This one, again, blows my mind. Another instance, Kevin Day noted that these objects were dropping from the upper limits of the radar readings at 80,000 feet down to sea level in two seconds and would stay motionless on the radar once they had. So these things are traveling 10 miles a second. So yeah, that is 
fast. It's not behaving like, say, a an Earth aircraft. You know, it does. It's not slowly for because that that's that's quicker than crashing. Yeah, so, that that is very fast. Uh, yeah. the, the fastest. So the fastest known sort of. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about the speeds later, but the, the fastest yeah. known um, man-made craft that we have, I think, is something like Mach five or Max 6, I think it goes. Um, and that, in miles per hour, is like 3,000 miles per hour. So that's still very fast. But yeah. these things are traveling like 15 miles a second. second. Like, like, that is obscene. And not only are they not only are they moving that fast, they're then stopping. Anything inside there would be going from 10 miles a second to zero. Like, yeah. that, that is unsurvivable. Uh, we will talk about the five observables a little bit later. Um, that is a term that I, I sort of want to go into. Um, and that is about sort of how to detect UFOs. Um, it's, it's something that has, has come up to identify um, UFO crafts and stuff like that. But these objects were traveling at instantaneous speeds is basically one of the five observables. Yeah. Um, but then you're you're a radar tech. You can't see these objects, so you must think, well, it's just a glitch in the system. You're not yeah, just going to go straight. Yeah. yeah, you're not going to go to UFOs, are you? Um, but then this is what Kevin Day did. So Kevin Day would send those messages onto Voorhees, and he would back up the radar readings with visual tracking using high-powered binocular systems. So he would be given the bearing, the range. He would be told the direction, the bearing, the height, and the range, and he would physically go onto the deck of the Princeton. And he would look at these objects. Uh, Voorhees said that I'd get relative bearings and then run up to the bridge and look through a pair of heavily magnified binoculars in the direction the returns were coming from. I couldn't make out details, but they'd just be hovering there. Then all of a sudden, in an instant, they'd dart off all together in one direction and then stop again. At night, they would give off a phosphorescent glow and they were slightly easier to see than in the day. So, so far, we're going to take a little breather. I want to hear your thoughts on what's happening so far. If you were on the Princeton or the Nimitz, what the hell is going on? As well, something completely unexplainable. I guess, like you say, this guy is sort of the one who knows the system better than anyone, and he's confused. So, yeah, and to the point where he doesn't he's on the just front... know this. He doesn't just know the system. He's recalibrated the system. Sorry, yeah, to the point where, like you said, it's become clearer. Um, yeah, yeah, and you're out there seeing stuff you've never seen before. Like yeah, not it's not like you're seeing a light in the sky and no. it's like oh that's a bit weird like yeah oh that could be a frisbee yeah no this yeah. is like yeah you're, it's not just a stationary object it's moving at speeds you can't fathom and there's and not one of them either there's multiple no, multiple of them and they're all behaving the exact same way so that's all that's that shows uh, a form of intelligence building that it's yeah. not like a freak thing you see in the sky this is all behaving like a lack of a better word, man-made um, yeah. object. Like a, like a, an object that is being moved, not something yeah. that not something that's just drifting in the wind, not a blue, no. not a blimp, no, something has that has a control face to it. Yeah, it's moving with purpose. Yeah. Like, yeah, so it's not like, it's, yeah. That's, that's not something that normally you would say people see, but they saw these things on the radar for days, days and days and days. And Kevin Day, there's, a, there's some really great interviews with Kevin Day. Um, he actually did a round table with uh, the guys over at that UFO podcast, who I'm a huge fan of, um, yeah. and I talk to him quite a lot, and his show is amazing. And he's actually done roundtables with Voorhees and with Kevin Day. Oh wow! Um, and he's he's spoken to them, and they I want to go back to the phrase um, they they are trained observers, so they're someone whose job depends on them being able to see things properly. So yeah. for me. So my my two UFO sightings. I'm not going to go into them, but I don't know what I'm looking for. No, it's true. I'm just I'm just some bloke. I looked up in the sky. I've seen some things I can't explain, but they may be explainable. Mm. These are trained technicians at the height of their career. Yeah, the U.S. Navy has put lots of time and money into them being good at their job, and part of their job is they have to be able to identify objects. That's just part of their job. Yeah. And so when people, a lot of times these get written off, UFOs get written off as crazy people seeing lights in the sky and you can't trust them. And unfortunately, this has happened with Kevin Day and Voorhees, where people have tried to write them off as making the story up or not seeing things or not knowing what they're looking at. 
that these are people that are specifically trained to use these systems and to observe trained observers they are they're on they're on the nimitz fighter class aircraft carrier that's like the crown jewel these yeah let's say they're on the highest like graded ship so they're yeah. obviously going to be bloody good at what they do they um, are the best of the best yeah i suppose they won't like enforce a sign an nda or anything because a lot of this sort of stuff i'm guessing as more of this podcast goes on we realize that a lot of shit held under key you know under yeah. safe and key and I suppose they so won't we, forced... we will talk about that a little bit later okay um, because the way no no i'm glad you brought it up because it's something that i needed to put in my notes um but before we move on to i think probably the sexiest part of this podcast um the chase before we talk about that i wanted to just go over these these things called the five observables so there's a chap called lou elizondo he was the sorry it's an amazing name and (laughs) colors that he wears you should see him he's a god of a man he has collars the size of my shoulders he's amazing um lou elizondo if you believe what he says was the former director of ATIP, the Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program. It was a $50 million a year black book operation set up by the US government to investigate UFOs and UAPs. And he was the director of that. There's a great interview with him um, in, I think it was on CNN, where he was openly talking about the fact that these objects, they're not man-made. Like They're traveling thousands of miles an hour, and he was great. He's a, he's a brilliant man. Yeah. And he's also um, had a TV show called UFO where they investigate a lot of this stuff. But he came up with this thing called the five observables. And if an object has these five observables, then they would classify it as a UAP. That's uh, The UAP is the new name. It's not UFO. It's... Um, yeah, so, so I originally watched that Nope movie. Yeah. Um, and the, the, he's on about... I, was, I don't know what it stands for, but it was on about the change from UFO to UAP. Yeah, yeah so, so UAP is unidentified aerial phenomena so oh, okay. they've changed it from object to phenomena um oh uh, because it might necessarily be an object exactly yeah yeah and so enough, yeah. lou elizondo has come up with the five observables so the first one is anti-gravity lift which these objects have got because they are just floating in the air doing nothing the second one is sudden and instantaneous acceleration which these things have because they can outrun pretty much anything that we know of, including our radar systems. Hypersonic velocities without signature. That's the important bit, without signature. So there's no vapor trails, there's no sonic booms. That, that's what's no... going to ask, that would have been, yeah. The, yeah, so there's nothing to show. There's nothing yeah. to show that they are being powered, which sounds weird, but th- that there's nothing to say that they are using conventional methods of, of propulsion. Well, yeah, it's all Lo- like what we consider conventional, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Low observability or cloaking. So sometimes they have like a haze or a glow around them, a phosphorescent glow at night, something like that. So already we are seeing four of the five observables. And here's my favorite one, transmedium travel. So that is where it can go from space to atmosphere, or it can go from the Earth's atmosphere down into the water. And that is where we will take this episode now so my mouth is agape right now i'm sorry the fact that he said it turns underwater um yeah let's go (laughs) yes so um before we go straight into the next part because the chase is a very sexy name i want to give you a few details onto david fravor and why for me he is he's a key witness david fravor was the pilot who is famously known as the man who chased a ufo if that's not the coolest title in the world isn't it (laughs) I don't know what it is. Um, yeah, imagine there's that a, one on CV. He's, um, he's been interviewed by Rogan, and it's great. But the one that I would say to check out, if you want more information on this guy, is Lex Friedman. Did a three-and-a-half-hour podcast with him, and it's incredible. Yeah, I don't like Rogan, so Lex Friedman would be the one. Lex Friedman's great. So David Fravor wasn't just a pilot. David Fravor was, and here's how cool this guy is, he was the wing commander of the Black Aces, a squadron of US F-18 Super Hornet fighter planes, and he was a veteran of the Top Gun pilot school. So this guy is basically Tom Cruise without the homoerotic beach volleyball. Like, yeah, and the t- and the tooth that st- stays in the middle of his gums. Who's seen that? Yeah. Ugh, yeah, I have, yeah. <laughs> That's more alien than what we're talking about, to be fair. But <laughs> this, this guy is legit. He's not like some crop duster out in 
Illinois who's in his biplane who sees a crop circle and a little green man running about. Yeah. He's like Randy Quaid. Yeah. <laughs> this guy was tasked to defend California during the 9-11 attack. <laughs> yeah. When 9-11 happened, he was in the air. Like that is that's the importance of this guy's statement. This Jesus. isn't just some pilot. No. You know, Kevin Day and Voorhees can be sort of written off because, well, they don't fly planes. They don't know what they're looking for. They just sit on a boat and look at objects. Yeah, sea badness. <laughs> this guy is, he's so cool. He's a wing commander of an, a, an F-18 Super Hornet squadron. Like, this, this guy is legit. He's seen multiple tours in combat. He defended America during the 9-11 attacks. He's what the US Navy would call quite good at his job. <laughs> and, again, right. <laughs> and again he's a trained observer oh and he's a trained observer yeah it's part of his job he has of to know course, what he's yeah. looking at if it's he's 30,000 30, feet in the air yeah. and he can see possibly an enemy plane on the horizon he has to know what he's looking for yeah. he spends multiple hundreds of hours training observing, looking for things in the sky, flying these planes. This guy is the most important person that really is flying a fighter pilot a fighter plane at that time in America. So yeah, he's the guy. he's he is the guy. And so he's quite a good witness to have when you want to talk <laughs> about wit, like chasing a UFO. Yeah. And then on top of that, Alex Dietrich, who was in the other F18 She's also been on multiple combat missions. She's also a commanding lieutenant. She has got literal degrees in physics. Like, she knows what she's talking about. And they were doing a training mission. It was about 100 miles off the coast of San Diego. So they're doing something basically like, like war games. So yeah. there's an enemy ship, there's an ally ship, and they're just flanking each other. They're just running drills. So they're not... Um, equipped with any missiles because when you equip people with missiles and training missions, people die. Like that's just what happens. Yeah, makes sense. So Fravor and Dietrich are on their combat training mission just off the coast of San Diego, and they're accompanied by their two backseaters. So they're their technicians that will be observing radar systems, that will be using the FLIR cameras, their forward-looking infrared sensors. These are the guys that are also just as important as the guy in the front seat because they are the the eyes behind the back of the head of the pilot. So they're on their routine mission. They're just blasting off on the coast of San Diego. Lovely, beautiful day, clear blue skies, no chop, no surf, nothing. Perfect weather for training. And they get a call from the Nimitz to say that they need to intercept a real-world vector. And they're asked, this is a weird bit, they are asked by the radio team when they get the call through, if they have any active weapons. Ooh. Which, for me, sounds a bit weird, but David Fravor does say that in, a, in an interview, a lot of the times they ask that because it could be a drug-running plane and they might have to shoot someone oh, down. Or, yeah. Yeah, so th there's often reasons, but you know, they, they, they confirm that they're on, they're on training, they don't have any active weapons uh, with payloads, but they'll go and intercept the radar marking. So that's not a problem at all. And so at this point, Fravor explains that he thinks that he's going to see some drug runners in a small aircraft, and he has no reason to expect anything other than that will happen. Now, Fravor and Dietrich both confirm in interviews together, Dietrich only came out a few years ago. Um, this happened in 2004. David Fravor sort of came out about five years ago. Alex Dietrich waited a few years to see how it sort of played out. And they've come out and said that the weather was perfect. High visibility, low wind, no surf clear skies and it makes their observations even more compelling because it's not like someone could write it off as glare or no cloud cover there's nothing kite surface yeah exactly yeah you know 300 miles off the coast of san diego just some random dude on a surfboard but yeah me and my five friends they, there's nothing that can be put in the way of their observation so they move towards the target and they hear the term merge plot on the radio and that's basically where the two plots on the radar merge together, meaning that they are in the same sort of square mile area as the object. So the radar system only picks up one object now. So whatever they're doing, whatever's happening, they're not seeing 
on the radar. So they are very much alone now. That they yeah. don't have the help of the Nimitz, even with their radar tech, it just it can't pick up everything. So they reach the site of the merge plot, and Fravor's looking around for checkpoint objects to see sort of where he is, get his bearing, and he hears his backseater say, Do you see that? And as he says that, Fravor notes that he's banking slightly to the right, and as he looks down, he sees a white cross in the ocean. It looks like a disturbance from under the water. He estimates it to be the size of a Boeing 747, and is completely out of place with the rest of the calm water. He initially thinks it could be rotor wash. So you know when you see a helicopter get near the, the ocean and all the yeah, and it's spray says, comes yeah. up? He initially thinks that it could be rotor wash, but he notes that they are hundreds of miles in the middle of the Pacific, and that is when he spots the Tic Tac. So how are you finding this so far? Uh, the reason I'm so silent is because my mouth's still open. Yeah. that That's that chilling phrase of, do you see that? Like... Like you said, these are trained professionals. They've probably seen a million things that we can never dream of seeing. Yeah. And to hear the sentence, do you see that? Yeah, kind of chilling. Mm-hmm. And then what does he see? A is a Well, he sees a Boeing 747 a cross under the water. Under the water. Not above. Not yeah. flying above. In the water, creating the water. a disturbance. Very bizarre. Yeah. So you think this is quite compelling evidence so far? So far. Yeah. <laughs> so it's about to get even more compelling, James. I'm, I'm happy to out. say that the I'm story does space. not end. <laughs> <laughs> the story does not end here. So Fravor says that he can see the white tic tac object darting around the water like a pond skater on top of the cross. So it's going left, right, up, down, left, right. It's not moving up in altitude but it is moving very erratically in the shape of the X under the water, almost as if gravity doesn't concern it. It's not moving in a conventional way. It's not like a helicopter where it bows and it ebbs and it flows. No. It's not like a plane where it's going forward and banking. This thing is just... He's, he explains it like put a ping pong ball in a cup and swish it around, and that's the movement that you would see. Like frictionless. Fri- yeah, completely frictionless. And it's like it's being rattled about, but in a very pronounced way. He confirms with Dietrich in the second plane, a thousand feet above him, if she sees the object. And she confirms that she sees both the cross under the water and the Tic Tac. Well, they said at the time the object, it, it's become known as the Tic Tac. Hmm. But they confirm that they see the second, the, the, the cross in the water and the second object. What happens next for me is the most compelling evidence we have to date that these craft exist. Fravor says to Dietrich that he's going to intercept. So he's going to fly at this thing. He's not happy watching this thing from above. He wants to go down. In one of his interviews, he says, like, I'm a pilot. I want to know what this stuff is. Like, yeah, right, yeah. This is the coolest thing he's ever seen, <laughs> and he wants to go and see it. He doesn't care about the fact he doesn't know what it is. No. He just has to go and see this thing. What a way so to he's go. At, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's he's at 30,000 feet, and the object is at a 12 o'clock position to him. So imagine a clock. He's at 6 o'clock, and the object is at 12. And he starts banking around, moving to the sort of 9 o'clock position with this thing, him sort of banking down and looking at the object. Yeah. He calls to his backseater that they're going to investigate, and he turns the nose of the plane down with the object visible above his right shoulder. He circles down, and after a few thousand feet of decline, the object abruptly stops, and it turns instantaneously, mirroring the movements of Fravor's jet in reverse. So he's coming down like the clock face, dropping at about a thousand feet, maybe every 30 seconds, and this object is now coming up, sort of like a... um, uh, what's it called? A helter skelter. That that's yeah. what this thing is doing. It's coming up off the water in order to meet him. He circles down, and while this is happening, Dietrich is observing the entire event from above in her jet at thirty-two thousand feet. Fravor makes the decision to cut the circle. So that's basically he's going to turn sharply to the right, and he's going to try and cut from nine o'clock to three o'clock without continuing round the circle. Yeah. So he cuts the circle and turns sharply to meet the object in the middle. As he goes to move again, the object mirrors him completely, fires in front of his cockpit within 50 feet, and vanishes behind him. 
it travels from sea level close to 20,000 feet in a matter of seconds. And when Fravor calls Dietrich to confirm where the object is, she tells him it's just vanished. It had crossed the horizon in three seconds. So I want to give you an idea of the speeds that we're talking about. I had to do some maths for this. 30,000 feet is where Dietrich is. Yeah. The horizon is 212 miles away. In order for an object to vanish instantaneously over the horizon, it would need to be traveling at a speed of 380,000 miles per hour, which is 500 times the speed of sound. The fastest jet ever produced can go 6.2 times the speed of sound. These are the speeds that we're talking about. Instantaneous speed with no form of signature. Nothing coming off of this thing. Literally, click of a finger, vanished, gone. At this point, you'd probably think that that is a lot of factual witness data and evidence, but it gets even more bizarre. Yeah, it's not not some some drunk in a bar. No, no, it's not just some dude who says uh, an alien put a stick up my butt. Like this... This is multiple people on multiple systems. Multiple professionals. All professional trained observers doing their job properly, witnessing something they can't explain. However, you know that I said the object vanished at like 380,000 miles an hour. Yeah. Do you want to have a guess where it turned up? So they're in San Diego as it stands. Yeah. Well, I'll cover them up. Is it, is it another side of the planet? Am I trying to guess no, that? No, it... it it turned up at the exact location that Fravor and Dietrich were travelling to to do their training. The oh. exact location, their cap point. It turned up where they were originally going. So their their bearings and range were set to one place, and they had to divert off of that. Yeah, this object there. this object showed up where they were originally going. So it it's like it's like it knew that they were going to be there. It like it, it's like it scanned its it scanned them. Yeah. For- planer and it's like got the information from it but not just that for me it's like it wanted to be seen it was going wow. where it knew other people would be yeah. it was going to a location where it knew that other people may see this so we've got a lot going on right now yeah a cocky little alien yeah <laughs> a proper little cocky alien <laughs> a cocky little alien so would you say that so far that this is quite compelling yeah it's have you have you got any notes? You said that you were taking some notes. I'm taking, you just, that... just sort of like what just the important side of like what you told me. So names, yeah. um, professions, and sort of like phrases that are standard. So like is the there five. anything right now that really like reaches out to you that you think that's weird? The um the cross under the water. I'm trying to get my bearing on what that. So that almost seems like like a station point for them. It's like they're already here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's under the so War of the Worlds. <laughs> so they're yeah. Uh, yeah they're, so that Tic Tac was almost like not refueling, but like stationary at the point. It was like it cross. may be passing information on. Yeah, and it clocked the pilot. Yeah. Imitated it, almost gathered information, almost, and then yeah. off to the point where they were going. So this is this is beyond sort of like intelligent thinking, isn't it? This is. Yeah, you know, this is a this is a realm taunting. That, yeah, this is a realm that I don't think that we can ever fully understand. It, it's no. so off of what we would call normal. It's so sci-fi. If it wasn't the fact that we had like literal pilots and radar techs looking at this thing, this would be unbelievable. If you watch this in a film, nobody would believe that it could be real. No. And for me, that's why I love this case so much. It didn't take me a lot of work to do the um the research for this because i'm in awe of this case it it's just it's insane i think i think everything surrounding it like you said the fact that there's all these trained observers it's these professionals highest of their field this further yeah. guy being like pretty much the best pilot on the planet at that point yeah you know yeah. and it's all coming from hugely reliable sources um exactly yeah, it's well do you want to know something yeah, always. It gets even more compelling, James. Ugh, doesn't don't doesn't know if I stop can to handle it. <laughs> so they get back to the Nimitz, and everyone comes up to him saying, "Oh, you're oh you're the dude that saw the UFO." Blah, blah, blah. And they're having a bit of a, a laugh and a joke with it. But some of the pilots take this thing; they take this really seriously. Um, they they are concerned that there is something that they can't understand, and that <laughs> that brings me on to the video that I'm going to send you. Oh. So, <laughs> they got back to the Nimitz, 
and they discuss the encounter. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you the video and you can watch it while I'm just explaining this next bit. And there's also there's also a picture that I'm going to send after. Um, if you can hear the clicking, by the way, guys, that's just us sending and receiving useful information. Um, We're actually secretly so talking in Morse code. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows who's listening to this anymore, Harry? <laughs> I am sending a picture and I'm sending... Um, oh, I forgot I that a um, lot of the sort of declassified UFO stuff was released, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And so that's where this sort of basically comes from. Um, annoyingly, I can't seem to send... Can you imagine if those pilots had body cams? I know, it just, would be insane. Just, like, oh, actually, could get your iPhone out, mate. Just, <laughs> well, we'll come on to that on another episode, because there has been a few Ooh. pictures taken in oh, planes cool. of objects. Um, some of them compelling, some of one of them quite funnily called the uh, the Batman balloon. Um, so I've just sent you a video... <laughs> I wonder, on, wonder what's that about. I've just sent you a video... And I've just sent you a picture. Um, yeah, well, I'm watching the video now. So one of the pilots who was discussing this with Fravor, he was, um, again, a trained observer, but he wasn't just a trained observer with the um, with his actual eyes. He was actually a trained observer with the FLIR. FLIR is what you're looking at. It's the forward-looking infrared camera. Mm. So what you're actually looking at in this video is the heat signature. And you see, like, he's cutting between different feeds every now and again. So yeah. he's cutting between television feed, which is just what you're seeing. And then when it goes grey to black, you're seeing the the infrared screen. And so he's trying to sort of, like, track the object with different methods. Some successful, not quite successful. Um, but here's the thing. So you see at the end that object moves out of the field. It just... Yeah just sort of like moves to the left, instantaneously escapes a high-powered infrared camera system, that thing is booking it. Now, David Fravor has talked about this on Joe Rogan. He doesn't know exactly how fast that's going, but he can confirm that it's really, really fast. Um, <laughs> annoyingly, he doesn't have like a parallax system. In order, like There isn't objects that are being looked at in order to... No. like get the bearing and range and i wanted if you're just looking at the picture very quickly there's a few things that i want to talk to you about because what you will see is in the bottom right hand corner 19,999 so that is the altitude that they are currently at they're at 20,000 feet and the object is sat there stationary at 20,000 feet doing nothing so they went out there and they found this object they they went to where it is on the radar and this, you are looking at a video of the exact object that David Fravor chased. And there's a few other this things. Is, this is the Tic Tac. Yes, this is the Tic Tac that you're looking at. I know it's blurry, it's not great, but it's 2004 infrared systems of an object miles away. Well, I mean, blurry's still going to point out like the unfathomable speed and the behavior. Yeah, like... and the shape yeah. as well. It, it very clearly shows the shape. Now, one of the things that yes star wars Wars reference (laughs) (laughs) now one of the things that fravor makes note of on here is that this object isn't able to be to be locked you you can't physically lock the object he's having to box it himself is what the phrase is so that little box that you see around it those two lines yeah the the FLIR technician has physically have to put that over the object in order for the system to track it because this is actively jamming their radar systems. That is an act of war. Jamming a radar is an act of war. So if this was a Chinese or a Russian or a North Korean plane jamming the radar, they would have license to fire. Like That's how serious that is. And this thing is just actively jamming, but they don't know how. This object just exists in a sphere of its own where nothing can be picked up by it. And that leads me on to my thoughts on what is propel- what is propelling this object. And personally, I think that it's using a gravity well. So I don't think that it's using forms of combustion. I no. think that it can manipulate the fabric of space in order to propel it forward. Because then it isn't actually traveling fast. Everything else is, and it's stationary. And that would explain the instantaneous speeds. It would explain the erratic motions. It would explain why these things can't be tracked, because everything would bend around it. There would be sort of a 
a non-exclusion zone around this object where space doesn't exist. Yes, but it's like, sorry, quick tangent, why the Flash, in theory, can't exist because he travels so fast that the universe would just implode around him. Like, so this is like distorting the physics around it to be able to achieve this sort of like level of speed or like, you know, disobey our laws of physics. Yeah, this is something that from what we're seeing here in this video, if this was a plane, you would see the contrail come out. You would see the burners. You, You would see white hot. You see black cold. This isn't a heated object. There is no form of propulsion that is moving this object. Yeah. Um, it It's astounding that this video exists and these witness statements exist and people still think that UFOs are little green men because my theory, and we're going to get into this very quickly on this show, I thought it might be a few episodes in, is these things are already here and they're not manned. They are, for me, I think that they are biological in nature, I think that they exist under the ocean because a USO, um, an unidentified submerged object, is also something that um, that is looked into quite seriously. Yeah, and this thing was communicating or was with something that was under the water. Now, annoyingly, there's no there's, there's no evidence to show that object under the water. It never appeared on any radar systems, but NASA and the U.S. government have both had underwater radar training and black book projects over the last few years and they have classified everything that they've found so for me these things exist here already and they are they're not little metal crafts with green people that come from zeta reticuli they they are biological living machines that they are as close to a living machine as we will be able to find, and that scares the absolute crap out of me. Sorry, have you seen Nope? Not yet, no. I'm going to be okay, watching I'll, it this I, weekend. I won't say anything then. But um, no, I think you're completely right. And, like, our our species have been on this planet for a blink of an eye, comparatively, haven't we? And, you know, it's... How, yeah. much, of the, how much of the ocean's unexplored at this point? Like, 70%? Not <laughs> even that, no. We've got more complete maps of Mars than we do of the ocean floor, so... Yeah, exactly. Like, we can't... There's shit we can't see. No, if James Cameron can see the Titanic, we can find that cross, you know? So, like... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it's... Yeah, I think... We, we Like you say, we, we observe very little of what our planet is, I think. Yeah. Um, And I do think it's the ignorance of and fear of man that keeps, like... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this video over and over again because it is slightly terrifying. But this has got 1.6 million views. I mean, you get some... Yeah. Then you get some person eating crab cakes with a big mic getting three billion views. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, I don't know. It's, and the fact that if the second something gets classified, there's truth in it, I think. Yes. I think if they're willing to keep it under lock and key and all that, then that shows there's some truth behind it. If it was just some nonsense, then they wouldn't give a shit about the secrecy of it. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's been a number. I think there was a, a video actually just, um, the Pentagon just declassified another video. It's crap. It's just a few lights in the sky. It's very frustrating. Um, but Drip feeding, yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> disclosure is happening very slowly. Very but slowly. <laughs> really, there's four videos. There's um, there's Gimbal, there's GoFast, there's um, the Tic Tac, and then there's also a video from Costa Rica we'll do an episode on as well Ooh. of an object that is very strange. Um, and I... I can't help but think that these things just exist here, that they're not coming from another solar system because it, it well, just... Well, it's, it's, it's also, I don't know, it's not just because I, you know, I was lucky enough to be invited onto here, but I always felt like we don't belong here. Yeah, very much feel the same. As a, like, I feel like we were planted here or placed here because we just kind of changed and tried to... We're not adapting, we're ruining where we are. Yeah, we so, have messed stuff up big time. In the, what, 30,000 years that we've been sort Pretty of much, proper, yeah. proper thinking species? 10,000 years of civilization, and we've done a number on this planet. But <laughs> yeah, we just... one, of, one of the reasons that this subject is so interesting to me, and that the term UAP means a lot to me, is that we're not just looking at craft in the sky seen no. by seen by billy butt munch down in you know i know billy Utah. And he's a good guy yeah, yeah. like he's a good guy. this is 
this is more than just someone seeing something. This yeah, is they, multiple yeah. people and systems together. Annoyingly, anything that is on radar is highly classified, so we'll never see the radar readings of this. But no. the rumor is is that after this happened, men in black suits turned up at the Nimitz and took everything. And there is rumor that there is a much longer video out there somewhere of this object where it it's caught again and it moves in ways that people can't explain. Um, that's when you really go down the conspiracy side of things. Did men in black suits turn up? David Fravor says no. He says that that never happened. But when we talk about systems and government agencies and people could laugh at the thought of the men in black uh spoiler alert next week episode is going to be on the men in black people laugh at that but then lou elizondo came out and he was the head of the atip task force he was is, the, is uh, this sorry is this a legitimate like eight it's not just like uh he's like oh i work for this company and no no, no, no. It, it was legit oh okay 100 yeah, ATIP, ATIP was a thing. It was we we will do an episode on Lou Elizondo one day. Um, oh, just so we can say his name over and over again. It's an oh. incredible name. I would suggest on Sky uh, there is a great series called UFO that Lou Elizondo um, was part of. Fantastic. It goes over a lot of what we've covered today, and it also cements the fact that these objects are more than likely coming from the ocean into our atmosphere. Uh, not the other way around. Um, there, there is potentially something down there waiting, and that is oh, terrifying. That is so that that word wait. <laughs> very War of the Worlds. Um, if it? you if you believe Tom Delonge, and I personally don't because I think he's a nutter. If you believe what he says, then something big is happening soon. Um, the U.S. government are preparing themselves, is what he. You know, said. he's supposed to talk about the Blink reunion, right? No. I would hope so. I would hope <laughs> it would rather be that than the annihilation of humankind. I don't know. The new shit in the news is quite shit, to be fair. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he really needs to stop doing UFOs and really needs to focus on the music. He's just sold yeah, come on. Man. Yeah, Travis Barker's but, doing Machine Gun Kelly. Like, come on. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> so that that really is everything that I've got from this case. But I've really, think, like, part of this podcast is I want to hear your thoughts on this. I want you to tell me what stood out, what what blows your mind, what points of this yeah. do you think that cannot be um, true? When you, when you invited me to sort of start this, I was like, yeah, but 2% of me was a bit like, is it just going to be stories of, like you said, Billy Buttwash, yeah. you know, telling his, telling his uncle he saw this thing. But what really blew my mind is the fact that, I think I've said it like a couple minutes ago, it's coming from professionals in high of their fields. It's yeah. And it's not what you expect an alien story to be. It's not. No, absolutely. I, 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 I was walking in a forest and some tubby alien came up to me and touched my finger and he went home. It was like proper, proper sci-fi. And it's yeah. beyond these people. They, the greatest sci-fi writers are there for a reason. And these people aren't that. No, they're, no, no. These... Great at what they do. Not to know that, this is they're not storytellers. Beyond, thank you. Yeah, they're not storytellers. These these it sounds like they were just displaying facts that they saw. Yes, and, that's why I love this case so much. Uh, yeah. There there certainly will be cases that we look on in the future where they very much are some dude got sucked up into a spaceship and little green men were there. Like I want to look at those things because I'm very skeptical. I know that I'm very excited about this, and yeah. obviously I believe in the the phenomena. But I'm still very skeptical. I, I got called a CIA informant the other day on Reddit. Um, my, nice. If you go on to the UFOs, our UFOs on Reddit, my post is the top post of all time. And it's a post where I debunk a guy who thought, uh, who was trying to convince people that a telephone, like a, a light mast in the sky behind some fog was a UFO. And I did a bit of investigation and just like found out it was a street lamp. And I made you this, just defog this, the image. <laughs> yeah, know. basically, I just found I just found the place on Google Earth. He was telling me it was in one place. I like traveled like a mile down the road and found the exact location and posted it on the subreddit. Like, don't kick skeptics out of this community. They're very important. Like, this guy was clearly trying to bullshit people. It got like thirty thousand upvotes, and it's the most upvoted post of all time on the UFO subreddit. And I'm now being called a CIA informant because I, um, I'm there trying to like subterfuge and trying to hide real news and stuff. Like, sorry, sorry about the clicking. I'm literally on Reddit now. I want to 
I am very skeptical about these things. I'm not someone who sees something at face value and just I have to believe it because someone said it's real. Um, the 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 tagline of this podcast is "Open your mind and watch the skies," but that doesn't mean open your mind and believe everything. It, no, no, can't be no. skeptical. But how can I sit here? And there's a guy that we'll talk about in another episode called Mick West. He was a game designer who was part of the uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater team. And he now spends his in- he now spends his entire life telling David Fravor and Alex Dietrich that they didn't see what they saw. But how would he how would he like that's exactly. what I like yeah. top. And top of all time, and it'll be my post. But these I'm people that we've talked about today, they are the top of their field. These aren't just random people just <laughs> they trying are. to... There I am, sorry. <laughs> These aren't just random people trying to convince someone to sell a story. They're, they're not no. trying to sell a book. They're not trying to make a TV show. They're not trying to have a film written after them. They are just telling people what they saw. And that's what they saw. They saw the USS Nimitz Tic Tac. And for me, it's the big one. I think it's, it's a great one to really start off with. Because it's quite a gut puncher. I'm kind of sitting here a bit terrified. Like I said, I, I wasn't like I wasn't a disbeliever at all. You know, like I said, I think it's completely ignorant to think that we're, we are alone. But the fact that more evidence you put into the fact that you know they're already here, um, yeah. sort of, uh, yeah. And it's it's quite amazingly terrifying. I think. I think that's a very good way of saying it. Because as much as I love this field, and I really since I was like four years old, I've or like my dad gave me a UFO book when I was like four and I read it page to page for like 10 years. Like I'm, a, I'm obsessed with UFOs and yeah. I'm lucky enough to have, to have had experiences that I can't explain. But again, I'm not a trained observer. I don't know what I'm looking for. I could have just seen a helicopter. I could have just seen a plane or a drone. I don't know. No. David Fraven, he's, he has never said that it's come from outer space ever. He's never said that it's, it's aliens or little green men. He's very, very careful not to say that. He doesn't want to be associated with the UFO crowd. He just says that this is something he can't explain, and it doesn't appear to be man-made. And that is where we will leave this episode. So thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. Yes, um, thank you. I had a blast. What about you, James? Did you enjoy it? Oh, I'm covering urine, but yeah, the thank you everyone for for tuning in um, if yes, you enjoyed this you. if you enjoyed this if you go to our link tree it's linktr.ee slash paranormality podcast you can ask us a question so if there's a case that you would like to see if there's a particular subject matter that you'd like us to discuss maybe you'd like us to go on reddit and debunk a few things again uh, just let us know <laughs> Follow us on Twitter. We are Pod Normality on Twitter. Search us on Facebook. We are Paranormality Podcast. And tell a friend about this show because this is a real passion project for me and I'm really excited to get into some freaky stuff. Oh, me too, man. Can't wait. Very excited. So from me, Harry, thank you so much. James, it's been a pleasure to have you on as well. As always, my friend, as always. Open your mind and watch the skies and we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. 